Welcome to the Best of MBS podcast, a collection of the best interviews hosted by Michael Bungay-Stanier, best-selling author of The Coaching Habit and How to Begin. Today's interview is from The Coaching Habit podcast. Here's your host, MBS. This is Michael Bungay-Stanier. This is The Coaching Habit podcast. And, you know, I, as some of you will know, I'm a member of the Marshall Goldsmith 100. It's a group of really talented, amazing, interesting people that, and me as well, kind of somehow added onto that, that Marshall has gathered together. And one of the joys for me is getting to meet and know a little people that I would never otherwise come across. And one of my guests today is exactly that sort of person. This is Aisha Evans. She is the Senior Vice President and Chief Strategy Officer at Intel Corporation. She's responsible for driving Intel's long-term strategy to transform it from a PC-centric company, the way that we all think of it, I think, to a data-centric company, as well as, and I'm going to be interested in finding out more about this, leading rapid decision-making and company-wide execution of that strategy. Previously, Aisha was the general manager of the communications and device group, responsible for driving wireless engineering for multi-com products and Intel platforms, and of course, I don't quite understand all of this, including modems, RF, Wi-Fi, GPS, Bluetooth, FM, LTE, WLAN, W1, as well as emerging wireless technologies such as 5G. Aisha, it's so nice to be talking to you. It's been about a year since we first met, so it's nice to be connected here with you again. Definitely. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Now, we've kind of given people a hint of what you're up to, but, you know, at Box of Crowns, one of the things we talk about is trying to help people and organizations do more great work, work that has more impact, work that has more meaning. So... As you think about what you're up to at this moment in this very senior role in this big, well-known company, how do you think about great work for you these days? I think about impact. Right. That's uh, my uh, that's my compass. This is a great company. It's accomplished some amazing things. It's been successful not just from a financial standpoint, but in terms of how it's transformed the world. Mm. Uh, we forget this is the company that went from the mainframe to the PC and then said, or the desktop, I should say, then took that to the laptop then took that to the notebook, to access to the internet. And uh, I always say to people, imagine uh, the world without what we did. I'm sure it would be very different. So uh, we have a competency in compute. These things uh, keep evolving. And now there's a a next wave. And what are we going to do about it? And what are we going to make possible for the world? And that's something that I'm really, really excited about. The way I read it in your your bio, this transformation from a PC-centric organization to a data-centric organization, that doesn't feel like a small challenge. (laughs) You know what? It's not a small challenge, but I I always say it's good to be lucky, too. Right. Um, We are going, I've been saying for probably three, four years, both internally and externally, that um, it's sort of like the compute used to be at work, right? Like 20 years ago, you had email at work and whatever. Then it came into our homes. Uh, then it's uh, married with uh, automation. And we're entering, uh, oh, then we became mobile, right? Like right. meaning we had the compute in our hands wherever we were. And uh, one of my big things now on an airplane, especially on a long haul, when I see Wi-Fi, I'm like, don't even look at it because you're not connecting. Right. You can actually have hours of not being connected. Yippee. Yeah, exactly. And now we have this era of the machines. Right. The machines are going to be smarter. They're coming. They are going to be in all aspects of our lives, whether it's the personal assistant, whether it's robots, uh, whether it's autonomous driving, whether it's drones, uh, whether even the way things are made in manufacturing. So they are going to be smart. They are going to be learning and self-learning. They are going to be communicating with each other. 
And all that is basically based on two things, data and communication, mm. meaning communication technology. Because the machines are, you know, they don't have eyes, but they have cameras. That's their virtual eye. Right. They can't talk and listen, but there is speech recognition, right? Uh, they can't make decisions. They don't have our brains. I, I still say the human brain is still the most amazing computer right. you could even dream of. And they, they, they are baby brains. And then in doing things, we are going to have to input data into them and output data or take the output they give us. But they are cranking on that data. They are learning. They are training. They are inferring. They are making decisions. So this leads to not just machines in terms of mechanical machines, but it almost leads to an era of autonomy yes. and agency. And then how are we going to interact with these things? And uh, what happens to ethics? What happens to rules, policy, regulations? What happens to uh, displacement in right. terms of how we live life? And so to me, this is exciting. And, and data-centric, that's what that means. From uh, It's basically taking understanding that the compute is moving from your basic device or, or data center to the inclusions of autonomy and agency via machines that are going to be in the middle of how we live, how we learn, how we love. Uh, people tell me that it's impossible to just go to a bar and meet somebody. Everything happens through an app right now. Right. And if you're not willing to do that, you're not going to be dating, right? Right. And so how we play, how we live, how we learn. And that's why, it's yes, it's a big job, but it's also the timing is perfect. And we're catching the wave at the beginning of it. And I, I think we're uniquely positioned uh, to uh, to deliver within that wave. Actually, I mean, I'm I'm swept along by your passion and excitement around it, I can truly hear it in your voice. I'm curious to know, because, you know, as, as I read out your bio, it's like, it's not uh, simply the case of seeing the strategy, predict, seeing the future and seeing the opportunity for Intel, but part of it is around how do you engage the organization around that? How do you execute against that strategy? And as, as much as you can tell us, I, I'm just curious to know, what have you learned almost from what it takes to engage people on a strategy like this? Because... I can imagine there's some part of the parts of the organization who are excited about it because they see it themselves and they're like, we need to be there. We need to be catching that wave. But at the same time, when you pivot or when you shift like this, that creates a, a threat for the way we've done things in the past. So how do you help to engage the organization around this? So this isn't just an enthusiastic conversation in the boardroom. It actually happens throughout the organization. So I, I start with we have a choice. Mm. As a company and as the shepherds of this company, uh, we, we need to decide who we want to be going forward. Our founders are not here anymore. Uh, you know, a couple of them are even deceased. Yeah. And so it is now up to us. And the reality is, and I don't mean to be scary or anything like that, but the reality is for a company of our size to have been this successful at a previous wave, the likelihood, you can look at MBA case studies, right. that we are going to be part of the next wave is less than 10%. Right. And a lot less than 10%. Right. The, the innovator's dilemma, right? That's exactly right. So now we can decide, do we want to be counted as one of the few companies that has gone from wave to wave, and there are only a few, or do we want to treat this company like it's just a place we come to work, and there is no steady state in companies. You mm. either grow or you die. Right. The rate at which you do that may confuse you because you don't, you may not realize you're dying, right. but it's basically the choice is clear. And I start with that and I say, let's make the choice. If we just want to exploit this company, you know, it's, it's a pretty easy set of decisions. Shrink it, be super focused, uh, maximize for ROI and so on and so forth. 
and be a, a value company. Yeah. If we think what we're doing is important to the world, then we have to embrace this world, this, uh, this new wave. By the way, lucky us, contrary to the last wave, which is mobile, this wave really is in our, is in our wheelhouse right. because it requires high-performance compute, which we're very good at. Yeah. And so we're not trying to develop a competency that is totally uh, orthogonal to what we know how to do. This is actually a pretty logical uh, next episode in the chapter of Intel. So first, make the choice. Second, I have to be generous and I have to be uh, very uh, smart. And this is a case where being smart is more important than being right. right. So taking the time to really explain to people in great detail what this is, how important it is, what does that mean in terms of their day-to-day work, what they need to be thinking, what needs to continue to be exploited as is in the short term versus what needs to change and how it would change. I'll give you an example. Uh, with the PC we and, and probably the data center, we achieved a state of general compu- compute, general purpose compute yeah. nirvana. Right. X86 can just do a lot of things and do them very <laughs> That's beautiful, yeah. And we earned that, by the way. Yeah. Now, in this, in this age of uh, autonomy and agency, you're dealing, one day you're dealing with a mattress company, the next day you're dealing with a manufacturing company, the next day you're dealing with a retail company, the next day you're dealing with, um, you know, surgeons that are trying to break down some sequences. Right. And so uh, general purpose is probably not going to be working. So understanding the type of accelerators that have to be married with general purpose compute in order to do very specific functions and and specialty-driven analysis and algorithms to serve a particular segment, developing the skill set of listening to the customer, understanding what they are trying to achieve, developing together how what does that mean from a compute communication network and standpoint, and then co-architecting what needs to be delivered at what stages for them to be able to get the value that they are trying to derive. Fantastic. And when you put it in those terms, actually yeah. people are extremely excited because human beings... Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I, I want to I come and join and work Intel now. I don't even fully understand what's going on, but I'm like, sign me up for this. We're hiring. Come on over. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Hey, Aisha, let me, let me switch the focus because I'm, I'm very... I mean, this, this feels like it could be another podcast in itself, just seeing this transformation and understanding this call to action. But I want to turn the, the impact, uh, the focus to you because... I'm just curious about your journey and, and what, you, what it's taken and what you've learned to get to where you are now as the Chief Strategy Officer. Um, you know, one of the, the sayings I love is inspiration is when your past suddenly makes sense, when you're like, oh, that's why I made that decision, I had that boss, I had that experience. It kind of makes sense of this place that I've arrived to right now. And on the way, I think for most of our journeys, we've had these crossroad moments, moments where we've gone, well, I could do this or I could do that, and the choice we made has been the one that's propelled us along that path. So I'm curious, you know, for you, when you think back on the path you've walked so far, were there one or two crossroad moments that really stood out for you? Yeah. The first one was very early on. So I am from uh, uh, Senegal, West Africa, and I bounced back and forth between Senegal and France. So I was educated in the French educational system. Mm. And at a very early age, I think it's around sixth grade, and then so you're around 12 or so, and then right before you enter high school, so around 15 or so, you have some mega decisions to make. Right. You actually have to start deciding what, and, and there's a conversation with your teachers and your grades and what have you about literally when you look back, are you going to go the science track, math, physics, and what have you, 
or are you going to go the liberal art way? And that's from literature to economics to business and all that stuff. Right. And uh, I remember telling, telling my teachers and my parents, I want to do both. Mm. At the time, I didn't really think about it. I, it was truly just a personal dilemma. But as I look back, I think that, look, I love engineering. I love building things. Uh, when something, just yesterday, I can't remember where I was and something was broken and I started debugging and saying, no, we should do this. And there was uh, somebody who knows me. She's like, wow, always an engineer at heart. There's right. just something about building things, fixing things, creating things. But I'm also very passionate about uh, humanity, right. about society, about human beings, uh, which is why I love philosophy. Uh, I always contend that there's a reason some of the greatest philosophers are some of the greatest mathematicians. Right. So engineering towards uh, the goals of improving society and humanity and making us better is one key moment sure. and very important. And the reason I'm mentioning that is then the second point. When I first came into the professional world, I copied what was around me, meaning extremely analytical, borderline antisocial, right. uh, a little bit of command and control, yeah. which I have a, you know, I admit that this is one of my diseases. <laughs> if I admit it, maybe, maybe we can do something about right. it. And, and then somewhere uh, around maybe three years into it, I finally realized that I was shortchanging myself, but more importantly, I was shortchanging what I can contribute to, to the world, yeah. essentially. That the marrying of engineering and impact on society and, and really uh, having the courage to go after things that are meaningful and that truly advance things is what I'm good at and I should embrace it. And if that means I'm more of an extrovert, if that means that I'm more social, and that means that I marry people and engineering, that's actually a strength and not something I should be, uh, I should be right. uh, ashamed of or, or worried about. And, um, and the reason I'm, the third element of your question is, and that was hard. Yeah. Because you hear things all the time. You're weird. Yeah. You're different. You're, yeah. you're confusing you're, you're, me. Yeah. <laughs> you're confusing. Yeah. Well, you're not technical because if you're technical, if you, if you're so people and, and impact oriented, you can't possibly be technical or you're, you're technical and you're faking that you care about people. Right. And, and that's been a very, very hard, um, thing to navigate. This is something I deal with uh, up until today. Yeah. And especially when they are failure and I've had some spectacular failures, by the way, mm -hmm. it, you can quickly like have a one-on-one -on -one with yourself and you have to stop what I call the negative spiral yeah. because it's like, well, maybe they're right. Right. But at the end of the day, I know they're not. <laughs> Beautiful. That's a great piece around um, in both of those, you're kind of looking at uh, the way things can become binary, you know, it's this or it's that. And saying, actually, rather than this or that, I want both. I want it and, and I want this and that. And I can see how that's part of what makes you a strong strategic thinker, which is you get to see both the, the mechanics of it and the visual of it at the same time. Yeah, I, I, that's how I feel. <laughs> so, Aisha, we met in the context of being called as coaches to the world through Marshall's uh, work. And, you know, I know your job description is Chief Strategy Officer, but I'm sure for those that you lead and you influence and you work with, you show up in a kind of coach-like way. You, you know, you guide people, you mentor people, you nudge people. And I'm always curious to know the, the tools or the models or the processes that people love. The ones that they go, I, 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 always, I mean, I almost always drag this out of the drawer because it, it's so good, it almost always works. So I'm wondering if you have a, a favorite approach or a tool or a model, whatever it might be, 
for when you're coaching or leading or mentoring somebody? Yeah, I mean, the first thing I, I try and do, and I, I've learned this from Marshall, is I, I try and understand things from their perspective. Right. And listen from their perspective. And it's hard, right? Because at least I have a tendency to listen and judge at the same time. Yes. Also listen and develop answers at the same time. Right. And it's like, this is not about you, lady. This is about <laughs> them. By the way, and it's both ways. Maybe they came to me with something specific, or maybe they are very important in what I'm trying to achieve, and mm. therefore I need them support. So understanding things from their perspective, getting a little bit of a feel of how well they know themselves. Right. I.e. their compass. Because I think it's, it's back to triggers with, uh, with, uh, this is a book from, uh, from Marshall. Yes. It's quite important. If you know yourself, then you, you also understand your triggers. And then comes the choice of what you're going to do about those. Beautiful. The, the, I try and also, another tool is even in the work, and this is hard, uh, this is why I have a little Buddha, uh, poster in my, uh, conference room that basically says holding on to anger is like drinking poison right. and expecting the other person to die. <laughs> I try and understand if we disagree, Yes. It's, it's not necessarily their issue. It's our issue. What is it? Unless I've decided that this, this person is just a loser, and then if that's the case, why am I talking to them, right? right? Then let's figure out a way to eliminate them out of the situation. Right. But, but if, if they are important and, and, and we need to, to get to the same place, or I need to help them with something, or they need to help me with something, really understanding why it is they think the way they do, why it is they, I am not able to convey my point. Is it because I'm, I'm being egotistic and I just don't want to accept that they have a better point? Yes. Is it because I'm not explaining myself clearly? Is it because I haven't defined the, the necessity of us understanding each other, i.e. the common goal and why it's important? So starting with that foundation and, and with a lot of generosity, it's something that I, uh, to me is baseline. Because from there, Usually I find that if, if you have that established, you have a very strong foundation and then you can solve anything, including, by the way, sometimes just being like, you know what, it's not worth arguing about. I'm going to go their way because it, it's not really material right. to, this, to the final outcome. Yeah, I, I don't need to win this argument. You know, there's a, yeah. there's a bigger game to play. And actually, I'd love just seeing the patterns in everything you talk about, which is so much of it is recognizing and coming, overcoming this. It's either this way or that way. And going, how do we break down the binaryness, binary approach, yeah. and thinking of a, a third way, an alternative way through this? Wonderful. Um, Aisha, it's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you for sharing not only your insights and the kind of the, the current story of Intel, which is exciting to hear, but also giving us some insight into your journey and how you show up in the world as a coach. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this Best of MBS interview. Want more great content? Head to mbs.works. There you'll find MBS's new podcast, Two Pages. You can learn about his best-selling books, and you can join the newsletter. That's mbs.works.